It's been a relentless struggle for the Seahawks defense through the first three weeks of the season, including giving up 27 points to the previously winless Falcons on Sunday. Is it time to shake things up personnel-wise? Rob Rang and I are going to investigate on the latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday Musings episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Less than 24 hours after the Seahawks lost 27 to 23 to the Falcons, we're going to be dishing out some in-depth takeaways, what we saw in offense and defense in yesterday's game. Plus, we're going to be dishing out our top five grades, offensive defensive players. I don't know if Rob and I are going to have any defensive players after the way yesterday unfolded, but I guess we'll find out when we get to that segment on the show. Jam-packed episode, tons of analysis from yesterday's game. Coming up here on Locked On Seahawks. Now for your lead story here on our Monday episode of Locked On Seahawks. Pete Carroll spoke with the media today and certainly had plenty of positive to say on the offensive side of the football, as he should have. The Seahawks had a pretty darn good day on offense. Major improvements after getting shut out by the San Francisco 49ers. No offensive points in week two. Went out and had over 300 passing yards, 420 yards of total offense. But, Rob, as we saw on the other side of the football, while there's optimism on offense coming out of this game, the defense continues to get in its own way, whether it's missed tackles, poor run fits, you name it. This defense really couldn't get any stops yesterday against the Atlanta Falcons. And based on what Pete Carroll had to say today, it sounds like it's time for some personnel change-ups, most notably at the outside linebacker position. Yeah, we've been talking about this. I mean, specifically with Daryl Taylor and how it feels like he is basically just kind of pinning his ears back and trying to get to the quarterback. And, you know, when you are facing a team like the San Francisco 49ers two weeks ago, uh, you know, and really even Denver in the opener, um, you know, and certainly with the Atlanta Falcons, you knew that they were going to come in and try to run the football. And yet it, it still feels like Gerald Taylor is freelancing a little bit that he is just the, the, some of the plays in which he is uh, holding up at the point of attack. Then the Falcons did a great job of having the guard come down and slam him um, and, and be able to kind of knock him out. And and between Daylor Taylor on at the edge position, um, I think Cody Barton struggled a little bit as well. We saw some very aggressive uh, paths to the football from Seattle safeties. Quandre Diggs, I think, hey, he is a spectacular player. But at the same time, I think that he is trying to do a little bit too much, trying to kind of cover some of the mistakes that are happening in the front seven. And that, to me, is the issue here, is that it, it is at literally at every single level of Seattle's defense. And in the NFL, they are going to run the football until you prove that you can stop the run and force them to pass. It's just easier to call those plays. And with the Detroit Lions team on the schedule next, that is going to run the football regardless who is going to be at the run back position this is very concerning for the Seahawks and I would not be surprised at all if we see multiple 
changes uh, when it comes to personnel. I'm not, everybody focuses on who starts. I, I worry more about who is going to get the most reps, but I would not be surprised at all if we do see some different players playing on first and second downs, those obvious rundowns, and then maybe see some of the more familiar names coming in on third downs and, and being able to try and help out in that regard. Yeah, Pete Carroll didn't offer up too many hints as far as other personnel moves, but he came out this morning on his Seattle sports interview that he does every Monday and point blank said, boy, Mafe and Daryl Johnson need to play more snaps. So I dug a bit deeper and I asked Pete Carroll about boy, Mafe specifically, because I thought Mafe played really well again yesterday. That's two straight games that he has come in limited snaps and he's made some things happen as a pass rusher and a run defender. And he had this to say, looking at boy Mafe's progress early in his rookie season, he said Mafe did well against the run. He played the edge really well yesterday. We are looking to continue to add for him. He's looked like he has played strong, has been active, and he's made a few plays in every game he's been in. We need to keep going with him and keep the rotation going. I don't think that we've found the exact rotation for us yet, but we are working on it. Mafe only played 19 defensive snaps yesterday, just a little over 30% of the plays. Now, that was an uptick from the first two games, so he is gradually getting more opportunities. But I think at this point, based on what we have seen from Daryl Taylor, this does seem like the most obvious position where, at minimum, they need to split up the reps here. And they were going to the season believing Mafe was going to be their situational pass rusher. It's starting to look to me like maybe that's going to be Daryl Taylor's role right now until he can prove that he can consistently defend the run and play more disciplined football. I don't know that you can have him out there consistently on early downs. Boy, Mafe is showing some signs, though, that he may be the guy that can handle that position. And he's just got more of a defensive end build. So naturally, he's going to hold up better against the run from a physical standpoint. He is. He definitely has a little bit more weight in his lower body. Um, I think he's playing with more aggression, um, you know, than than Daryl Taylor is at this point. And and I hate to kind of continue to pound on on Daryl Taylor, but you know, this is a player that that Seattle was had, had such huge expectations for. Um, you know, and again, if we want to focus in on, on the the point of attack, I mean, Puna Ford has not been the player that, that Seattle thought that, that he might be at, at this point. I mean, these are some of the guys that you were expecting to be leaders. Uh, you know, Cody Barton probably had, a, you know, at least uh, he Cody Barton struggled yesterday. I'm not going to say that it was the worst game of his career or anything like that. It's difficult to put those things into perspective, but, but he struggled. And I mentioned some of the, you know, the, the missed tackles and things. So, you know, it's Pete Carroll. He is always going to focus in on the positives. And so for him to focus in on Mafe and Daryl Johnson, obviously a guy that Seattle got essentially off the scrap pile uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, as a, as a, a player that had been released from a Carolina Panthers team that frankly isn't that good either. I think it really kind of goes back to how much Seattle is disappointed in, in, in some of their players and specifically Daryl Taylor. And you basically took the, the words right out of my mouth, Corbin. I think that Daryl Taylor right now is a pass rush specialist and, and that's okay. You, you can be that, but Seattle has to, again, earn the ability to go against the pass because they have not proven an ability to hold up against the run. And Daryl Taylor certainly has not. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Boye Mafe or Daryl Johnson, uh, you know, being that, that's quote unquote starting outside linebacker. I do think that Daryl Taylor can be absolutely fantastic off of the edge. He did get his first sack against the Atlanta Falcons. And let's, let's not, 
make that sound too impressive. It wasn't exactly the most difficult uh, of, of sacks uh, for those of you who, wa- who watch the game. But at the same time, that is at where he is at his most effective. And there is no doubt about it that he has been a liability to this point. And I think that he has been the easiest one to kind of make a little bit of a change up just because Seattle's backups, quote unquote, backups at that, at that spot have played very well. And I don't know that you have necessarily quite as good of quote unquote backups at other spots and maybe even at the quarterback position. Well, I've been really excited about what we've seen in coverage from say Tariq Woolen from for Mike Jackson most of the time. At the same time, I want to see a little bit more physicality, a little bit more run fits for the cornerbacks as well. It's not just about setting the edge at the outside linebacker and defensive end roles. It's those corners come up as well. I've been really intrigued by what I've seen by from Tariq Woolen. That was one of the biggest concerns I had about him was, is he going to be physical enough? We certainly saw Cody Bryant's physicality on that sack of Marcus Mariota, but it's got to be more of it if they want to have any type of ascent this season. Yeah, I wouldn't expect any changes are coming at corner, though. Artie Burns is going to be back this week. They got him in practice last week, so now he's going to have a chance to be active. So maybe the competition is going to be on there going against Mike Jackson. It seems like Tariq Woolen's got that starting job on the right side locked up. And Sidney Jones, who knows if he's even going to fit back into this. He was a healthy scratch in Sunday's game. Seems like he's kind of played out of their favor at this point, and he's not a special teams guy, so they kept a – player active that was going to contribute on special teams. So I don't know that we're going to see a bunch of personnel changes. Maybe Josh Jones trading out for Ryan Neal. Carroll didn't sound like he was going to be doing that either today, but maybe he's being coy and it's some gamesmanship. Certainly they could do some mixing and matching there, but either way, they're going to have to fix things internally. This is not something where they're going to be able to go out and trade for somebody that's going to instantly improve their roster and help them win football games right now. You're certainly not going to be benching Cody Barton either. I mean, Nick Bloor is the only other linebacker currently on the roster, so they don't have a lot of flexibility. The guys that are there have to play better. The coaches have to put them in a better position to succeed, and then they have to execute. And so I don't know that we're going to see a lot of personnel changes, but I do expect to see significant alterations to that rotation at outside linebacker because, boy, Mafe and Daryl Johnson have earned those reps, and Daryl Taylor to this point, unfortunately, has not. Coming up next, it's Monday Musings. Rob and I are going to dish out our in-depth takeaways after re-watching yesterday's 27-23 loss to the Atlanta Falcons. We're going to dive in on some storylines on offense and defense that stood out to us as we review the game. Coming up next year on our Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. Life can be full of challenges. Recently, our family underwent significant strife with family members dealing with debilitating health issues, and it's been a struggle for me coping with it mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all, and BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 
five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time for our Monday musings, Rob, our in-depth takeaways. We've had a chance to go back and rewatch the film. And I'm going to say, unfortunately, from the defensive side of things, but let's start an offense so that we can start with some positives. What was the first big takeaway for you looking at the Seahawks offensively? They actually scored some points yesterday, scored a few touchdowns. It wasn't enough to win, but what is your top takeaway coming out of this football game on the offensive side of the ball for the Seahawks? I think top takeaway is again, you're starting rookie tackles and you get two sacks yesterday. Um, you know, and I grant it was against that Atlanta Falcons team that, you know, finished dead last in, in sacks a, a year ago. But at the same time, considering that uh, I thought that the tackles played pretty well and getting the rookie tackles, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, um, you know, it's the third time in the last 50 years uh, that, you know, NFL team has started those rookie, ta- uh, rookie tackles. I think if they continue to provide at least a decent pocket for the quarterback, Geno Smith, uh, to be able to, you know, essentially operate from. At the same time, I also think that the the running back position has shown its flashes. Um, you know, I, I love the way that Seattle started the game. I love the way specifically Rashad Penny started the game. You know, that that very first run was supposed to go to the left. He cuts it back, goes back up the middle uh, or off to the right side for, you know, 10 yards and really buries his head. You know, he, he got those last three or four yards just on pure grit. And so I, I liked the physicality. I liked the tackle play. I liked the flashes I saw for, from the passing game. Obviously, they, they were unable to win the game when they had an opportunity to do so. But I also think that we live in an era, Corbin, where if the quarterback doesn't throw for 500 yards and, de- and deliver the game-winning touchdown, then everybody's going to knock the quarterback. And I think that we just it, – it's just as unfortunate that it, it is – it's all about the quarterback. And I think that's some of the reason why, frankly, Seattle played as well as they did in that opening game victory against their former starting quarterback, Russell Wilson, who, let's be real, got an awful lot of credit for all the success that Seattle had. I think that there's going to be some out there who are just going to knock Geno Smith. I was among those who thought that Drew Locke was going to win this job. But I would argue that Geno Smith hasn't been the problem, at least not the biggest problem. He, I wouldn't say that he necessarily has been the biggest solution. But at the same time, it's been other issues on this team, notably the defense that has let this club down so far. Um, and again, some of the positives being that it does feel like there's a plan, at least in the beginning of the game, and the rookie tackles have held up surprisingly well, at least in my opinion. Yeah, the offensive line as a whole played pretty well in pass protection, though I think you and I would probably agree, again, the interior line ended up being the weak link when it was all said and done. But the tackles, the rookies, they're comfortable out there. They're not phased by the challenges that they are dealing with. The run game yesterday, it was misleading to me because you look at the stats, they averaged almost five yards per carry, had over 100 yards. Rashad Penny had a couple drives where he was lighting it up. And at the same time, it felt like the run game was very hit and miss yesterday. So I don't think they're anywhere close to where they want to be. They'd like to get to where they're consistently able to run the ball the way they did that first drive. Not that you're going to rip off 10-yard runs three or four times every single drive. That's not going to happen. But they would like to get more consistency so they can get Rashad Penny more than 14 carries, maybe get him 16, 17, 18, get Ken Walker the third involved a little bit more out there. So yesterday was a nice stepping stone for them, but I don't think the running game is anywhere close to where they want it to be. 
at this point. But it's really nice to see that improvement after only having 35 rushing yards against the 49ers. And and you mentioned the pressure that's on the quarterback. And and I'm just going to say this. There are some listeners that are going to say you are a Geno Smith homer. Listen, Geno Smith threw for 325 yards yesterday. He completed over 70% of his passes again. I know he had the interception at the end of the game. And yeah, that, that was a killer interception. But it was 4th and 18. He's trying to make a play. He's trying to make something happen. The sack to play before, the pressure happened very quickly. I don't think that Geno Smith was looking to hold on to that ball. I think he knew the situation, but the pressure came so fast that I don't think he had time necessarily to react on that play. And so I still think Geno Smith played a very good football game. I don't know that I would go as far as saying that he is a quarterback that's going to elevate your team because we've talked about this, Rob. I don't think that's necessarily Geno Smith when he's at his best even. I don't think he's that caliber of quarterback or he would have been starting for somebody else in the last seven years. But he certainly has been comfortable. He's in control of this offense. He was delivering the ball to a number of different receivers. He got his tight ends involved again, was a little more aggressive downfield. They converted on nine of their third down attempts, over 50% of their third downs. I mean, that has been a big upgrade for them so far this year. They have been much better converting on third down. There were a few misses on third and short opportunities that – I'm sure Geno Smith would like to have back, but I guess I'm just going to say this way, pay a little bit of respect to Geno Smith. Cause I think there's some fans out there like that interception. We need to drew lock in there. Like can drew lock help your defense? Because that's the only way I think he's going to upgrade your team right now. I mean, Geno's playing just fine. He's among the league leaders in a number of key categories as a quarterback right now. He, his numbers look much better than Russell Wilson's after three games. So I don't know what fans are necessarily complaining about. You'd like to see him be able to finish that drive yesterday. That has been a struggle for him. Ironically, he had five game-winning drives his rookie year with the New York Jets way back in 2013. So he has done it in the past. It just hasn't happened in Seattle at this point. But I think quarterback, as I've said last week, and I'm definitely going to say this week, I don't think that it's one of the big concerns for the Seahawks offensively. The thing that does concern me, though, is the inability to create after the catch. And that would be my one big negative coming out of these first three games. Seattle's been struggling to do this for a number of years. It hasn't mattered who the offensive coordinator is. It hasn't mattered who the quarterback has been. This team, for all the talent they have at receiver, they just can't create after the catch. Geno Smith is 30th out of 32 quarterbacks in the NFL right now, according to Pro Football Reference, in yards after the catch per reception. Some of that is Tyler Lockett catching the ball and just dropping to the ground. He does it all the time. And I know he's protecting himself, but it drives me bonkers. You know, there's always time to get extra yardage there. And it seems like there's some missed opportunities. D. Eskridge playing 12 snaps again yesterday. He's clearly a non-factor for this football team. They're not even playing him. They're not trying to get the ball to him. And they drafted him for this reason in part, his ability to craft the catch. He's not even getting an opportunity to show what he can do out there. Goodwin hasn't been involved in it. They just, unless DK Metcalf plows over somebody, which, yeah, that's fun to watch, but they don't have an after-the-catch threat. That is, to me, something that this offense is still missing, That would, especially with a short-to-intermediate passing game emphasis. You have to be able to create after the catch, and that is still a real problem for this team. It's a huge problem for this team. When, when people say that that Pete Carroll is, you know, an old coach and, and the, the game has passed him by, a lot of times they focus in on defense. And, and clearly with the way that Seattle is struggling on defense right now, I think that that's warranted. 
But Seattle's inability to create any type of consistent yards after catch guy is absolutely part of this. I mean, as you just said, I mean, D. Eskridge, I mean, we're talking about a handful of plays a game. You know, the, the, the guy's initials are D.E., which basically means below average on a grading scale for teachers like like you and I or ex-teachers like you and I, Corbin. I mean, that it's, it's just been comical in, in how – uh, much of a non-factor that D. Eskridge has been for this club at this point, considering how, how highly he was drafted, how much natural talent that he has with the ball in his hands. But the key part there is, of course, he has to get the ball in his hands. Now, I'm not going to just blame the quarterback there. I'm not going to blame the play caller. There. I'm going to blame D. Eskridge because there's just too many times that I've seen him in person, in games, in training camp, that he just doesn't know how the heck to line up uh, before the game, before the snap. You know, he's looking to his teammates to help him get lined up. Like, okay, this is your job at this point. You have now had a couple of seasons removed from when you were playing defense, basically the exact opposite of what Tariq Woolen did as a receiver, switching over to defensive back, of course. With D. Eskridge, he was a defensive back switching over to receiver, but he still plays that receiver position a little bit like a defensive back. And so that is a huge problem for this club. I, I agree with you with what you mentioned before about Tyler Lockett. I mean, it's it's great to get all those catches, and there is no question about it that Tyler Lockett comes through with so many clutch receptions. But at the same time, there is very little yardage after the catch. And when we want to kind of – give D dk metcalf all the credit in the world for his ability to beast mode people at the same time he is getting paid to beast mode people so when he drops balls where the safety is coming down it's going to deliver a big hit again you with your size you should be the one delivering the big hit so he made some great plays in this game obviously caught the first touchdown that geno smith threw to somebody other than a tight end uh you know for this season or for this team this season so Great deal of respect for DK Metcalf, but you are expected to be that guy. And to me, my biggest concern on offense, and you hit on this before, is the lack of consistent pass and run blocking from the interior of that offensive line. Grady Jarrett's a good football player, but he was a dominant player against yeah, three tackles for loss for a guy that is playing basically out of position as a 3-4 defensive lineman. You know, th that's a 4-3 under tackle if I've ever seen one, and yet he still wreaked havoc. Austin Blythe had a really ugly performance. You know, I, again, I, I kind of make jokes sometimes. I, I think that with how many times I saw Grady Jarrett move you swim moves to beat Austin Blythe, then his next game, he needs to be wearing a life preserver because it was an issue uh, in this game. And one of the biggest reasons why Geno Smith, again, you mentioned his statistics, very impressive statistics, but when the game was on the line, he wasn't able to complete some of the throws because he had pressure in his face immediately. So you've got to help the guy a little bit. My goodness, I think the rest of the Seahawks, frankly, owe a game check right now to number seven because Geno Smith felt like he was one of the few Seahawks who actually showed up and was ready to play in this game. Yeah, and again, that's why I've continued to make the statement to the fans that are, you know, protesting the play of Geno Smith. Like, go back and watch the game. Like, what do you think happens yesterday if Geno Smith doesn't play as well as he did in the first three and a half quarters of this game? Really, three and three quarters. Up until that sack he took on third and eight, I mean, he had near spotless football. He had a couple bad passes that could have been picked. But, I mean, you could say that about most quarterbacks every game. This is the NFL. Like, you're trying to squeeze it in tight windows sometimes because you have to, to make plays. 
So you want to be smart with the ball, but you also got to be aggressive enough to be able to score points. That's something that people were questioning two weeks ago. So again, I think you got to give Geno Smith more respect for the way that he's played than what a lot of fans are giving him. I'm not saying he's your long-term answer at quarterback, but you know, he's, he's playing pretty darn well right now. A lot better than I think most people, including myself expected through the first three games. So we touched on offense a ton here. Real quick on the defensive side of the football. I think we can sum this up without ranting for 10 minutes. I mean, it's it's basically a broken record from the last two weeks. Rob, this team cannot tackle. And Pete Carroll, I don't care what he said today. He, he said, I don't think the tackling was the issue. It was run fits and, you know, getting to the football, whatever. No, the tackling is still a major problem for this football team. Drake London's game-winning touchdown. Shouldn't have happened, but Josh Jones let him slip through his grasp and Quandre Diggs didn't get him down. And there were other missed tackles that allowed Corderell Patterson to run wild. The run fits clearly still a major issue as well until they can shore those two things up. It doesn't matter who you're plugging into the lineup. It doesn't matter what your pass defense looks like. And it wasn't good. I mean, their pass defense was not good most of this game. They gave up seven plays of 20 plus yards in the first half. Seven of the eight completions for Marcus Mariota were 20-plus yards. You cannot do that as a secondary giving up explosives. But the, the run game is the major problem, like you said earlier, until they can get that figured out. I don't know if it's all scheme. I don't know if it's a blend of having personnel that doesn't fit this new scheme or if it's just strictly that the players just aren't getting the job done, whatever the case. That, that run defense is an abomination right now. Swiss cheese. This is the Legion of Matadors. That's what I'm going to call this defense right now. They pull out the red carpet and they just let running backs run wild. And until that gets fixed, this defense is not going to get better. Yeah. I mean, I, we, uh, we, we got to jump to our, our next segment here. So I'll, I'll be brief defense. Yuck. I mean, my goodness, it was just that there were so many different things about it that were, were so tough. And I would agree with Pete Carroll on the one respect. It's like when Seattle actually did meet a ball carrier, I thought they did a better job of wrapping up and getting that player on the ground. But there's a lot to a tackle, and I certainly don't have to explain to Pete Carroll about tackling. But the same, I, my biggest issue is I just saw really over aggressive pursuit to the football from linebackers, from uh, the, the certainly the defensive backs that I think led to some of the issues in tackling. Again, they they did they just whiffed on tackles because they were three yards off of them, as Josh Jones was, as you mentioned on that Drake London play. Quan Drake Diggs coming in and barely getting a hand on a receiver that is as physical as any receiver the NFL draft has seen for the last couple of seasons in Drake London. So of course he's not going to be able to, to wrap him up. So again, to me, that is the biggest question, the biggest concern on defense. It looks like some of these young players and frankly, some of the veterans as well, like their heads are just spinning. They're trying to overcompensate and help their, their teammates out rather than just doing their job. And that is obviously a recipe for disaster. So I, I do think that this is something that Seattle has to address um, if, if they want to have any type of, of success. And that includes the Detroit Lions here this next week. Uh, that's a team that's going to run the football and see Seattle has to be a lot better. Otherwise, we could basically see a replay of this last week's performance. Basically, it boils down to fundamentals. Not breaking down, taking bad pursuit angles. That's maybe the thing that drives me most insane watching this team because they used to, at least at practice, do pursuit drills every single day. 
And that was something that was ingrained in this team. And it just feels like the pursuit angles are way off. And maybe it is just trying too hard when you're looking at the safeties. I mean, those safeties shouldn't have to be coming up constantly making plays in the run yep. game the way they yep. have. But they've had to out of necessity because of the way the front seven has broken down with run fit. So the entire thing, it's just a cluster. We'll leave it at that. But they have got to get it fixed and ASAP because that is going to derail your season more than the original worry. Well, we have Geno Smith playing quarterback or we're trying to break in two rookie linemen like, okay, yeah, the offense is going to have its struggles, but right now the biggest problem for this football team that's holding them back, they cannot stop a fly at all in the run game. And so Pete Carroll, Clint Hurt, the players, they've got to get it figured out this week against the Lions. If you don't, Detroit will run for 250 yards. This is a very well-ran offense, well-oiled machine. Let's get to our top five, top five grades here now. Rob, and this is something new that we're going to be dishing out on Mondays. You and I, we view the game similarly, and yet we have opinions. And I noticed that with our grades here. I'm going to kick it over to you first. And and you and I both having teaching backgrounds, we talked about this before the show. It's like, man, I'm going to be really hard-pressed to give anybody a good grade after the way yesterday went. But there were a lot of positives in this game, particularly in the offensive side of the football. And I think that does have to reflect some in the grading. How did your top five grades shake out? Well, I think that the very first grade I'm going to mention is Abe Lucas. I think I've just been very impressed by the way that Seattle's tackles have held up. Uh, you know, Lucas, I gave a B plus, and that's the highest grade I gave anybody associated with the Seattle Seahawks based on uh, this last performance against the Falcons. Now, again, the Falcons had the worst pass rush in the NFL, and they still gave up a couple of sacks. Uh, but I thought that Lucas played well. I've been very impressed by his uh, initial quickness, his lateral agility in, in terms of pass protection. I just think that he has been, and this is shocking to me to say this, I think that Abe Lucas has been Seattle's best offensive lineman so far this season. And that is not something that I expected to say for a third round pick that had to fight his way into the starting lineup in, in the first place. And, and so to me, that, that is where I was going to kind of start off. I thought the Charles Cross right across from him had a, a solid performance as well. I gave him a B. Uh, Geno Smith, I, I gave him a B minus. Um, you know, I, I thought that he had a solid performance. There were some throws that he made that were spectacular. The, the, the touchdown to Disley is, is a perfect combination of velocity and touch. It's right over a linebacker, Troy Anderson, who's a rookie, but a really good one in that. And it's right over the tips of his fingers, right into Disley. It hits him basically in the chest. It's a perfect throw. Tom Brady doesn't make that. Aaron Rodgers doesn't make that throw any better. Patrick Mahomes doesn't make that throw any better than Geno Smith made that throw. The one that, that DK Metcalf dropped, and I'm going to keep mentioning this because, again, Metcalf is getting paid the way that he is, uh, but but that hits him in his, basically in his chest. I mean, he needs to make that catch. I know the safety is creeping down. Now, did he have his mistakes? Sure, and that's why I gave him a B-, minus. but at the same time, to just – think that he was ter or terrible, uh, you know, because Seattle didn't win the game at the end. I, I thought that Geno Smith had a strong game. I, I like what Tyler Lockett does. I gave him a B minus as well. I, I thought the toughness that he demonstrated and coming back from that big hit, um, the fact that he was as reliable as he was and, and has been for a long time, you know, it, it was funny. I, this game, uh, I actually listened initially on the radio and I think that, uh, and Steve Rabel and Dave Wyman do a terrific job. And it was so funny listening to 
Rabel basically say, guess who? Every time a third down conversion was made, because that's what Tyler Lockett does. But at the same time, you made this point before, Corbin. I mean, Seattle needs to get some yardage after the catch. And when you run in the four threes the way that Tyler Lockett did, at least at one point, then you've got to be able to make some plays for your guy besides just moving the chains. And, and so that is, again, why I gave him a B minus. And honestly, I think that the best player on defense basically this entire season, again, has been another rookie in Tariq Woolen. Did he get beat sometimes? Yes. But when he gets beat, he's usually right there closing on the ball i have been impressed by some of his run fits i think sometimes his, his angles are a little aggressive there's no doubt that sometimes he's blown off the ball and he's in position to lead the seahawks and tackles as he did in this game uh you know and partially because he is playing and focusing on the receivers but still he's showing that heart that i'm looking for i think you could mention a couple of other players but at the same time i struggle to give guys in this game anything higher than a c and as, as you said, with the education background, that is average. I thought the Seahawks played below average, and that's why they are one and two at this point. Yeah, I don't think the pro football focus gave any Seahawks defenders above a 70 for a grade for this week. Yep. And if you watch the game, you can understand why. Uh, I was a little more generous on that front because I do think that there were some players on defense that played well. But you and I have a few carryovers here. And then I got a few different names. And – I considered putting both the tackles on this list, but I've got to have Geno Smith atop my grade board. And, you know, again, there's going to be some listeners going to say Corbin's a Geno Smith homer, but like, look, we watched the game and you saw the way that he played. And I know that there were some throws that he made that should have been intercepted. There were two in particular. One, he threw downfield in a triple coverage of DK Metcalf that had no business not being caught by a defender. We have not seen him make very many boneheaded throws like that in these first three games. He's been very within the structure. He's made smart decisions. If anything, he's been too conservative at times. But you mentioned that throw to Disley that he made. That was a beautiful throw. And how about the throw he made to Colby Parkinson for 36 yards that he just feathered it right over the top, dropped it in the bucket. And what about Parkinson? I'll get to him in a moment. But seeing a quarterback that is getting the ball to these tight ends downfield it continues to be a really exciting development for this passing game and I think it's got to be part of this passing game because Gino is not going to rip off those 60-yard bombs the way that Russell Wilson did that's just not his game that's not the biggest strength in his game but you saw yesterday completing more than 30 passes completing over 70 percent of his throws and he had the Seahawks in position to win that game and couldn't quite get that final drive ended the way that it needed to be. There were some things working against him. The Damian Lewis hold, obviously. They would have been at the nine-yard line on that screenplay if not for that hold. And then the sack on third and eight, you can blame that on him if you want, but it was really quick pressure. I just thought overall of any player on either side, I just thought he had the best overall game, throwing for 325, two touchdowns, leading this offense up and down the field all the third down conversions. So he gets a B plus for me. Now on the number two and three spots, I actually gave Tariq Woolen a B because you mentioned some of the plays that he made. He had his first career interception. You got to see that four, two, six speed from him closing in on that pass and intercepting it. I actually thought he might have a chance to return that once he turned the corner but they were able to tackle and bring him down. He had another play that he gave up in coverage where he had his 33 and a half inch arms extended. I think the football was maybe a quarter of an inch away from its fingertip. The coverage was good. The throw was just even better. 
So I'm not going to knock him for giving that one up. There was obviously the third and 19 miscue. Pete Carroll basically today spotlighted him that it was his mistake in coverage that he needed to be over there to prevent that throw, but made some nice plays in the run game, chased down Marcus Mariota a couple times. I just think he continues to come up with special plays and so he gets a B for me. I'm going to give Metcalf a B, too. I, I'm not going to be near as hard as him as you. That pass that he dropped, I don't know if you've ever tried to catch a ball that's been tipped by a linebacker, but when you have a small change in trajectory like that, it completely changes everything for the receiver. Now, with the money he's making, you can make the argument you still got to catch the ball anyway, and I'd understand that, but I thought he made some – Real nice catches in this game. I'm not going to hold that drop. I'm not even going to count that as a drop. Maybe they did. But the deflection there really altered the trajectory. And it's a lot tougher to catch a ball like that than I think most people realize. So I thought Metcalf had a really sound game. So I'm going to give him a B as well. Really nice touchdown going up and high pointing it. And for my last two grades, Colby Parkinson getting a B- and Boye Mafe getting a B-. minus. I mentioned Mafe earlier getting more playing time potentially this week. He deserves it because every time that he's been in, we saw it last week, how many issues have the Seahawks had setting the edge, particularly Daryl Taylor. He's been getting dominated off the line of scrimmage and teams have just been running at him at will because he has not been able to consistently stop those plays. That has not been the case for Boye Mafe. And that's a surprise because that was not viewed as a strength for him. But the Falcons ran at him a couple of times yesterday and he set the edge, one of them, tackle for the loss. And so this kid continues to make plays with limited opportunities. He had a pressure yesterday as well. He had a sack the week before, the only one they had against the 49ers. So this kid continues to play well. And seeing Parkinson go out, two catches for 44 yards, stretching the field. The other one got a first down. I want to see him get another target or two each game because that 6-7 target with athleticism, that is a true matchup problem. And you can see Geno Smith wants to get the ball to him. Shane Waldron's got to find a way to scheme up some more throws so they can get Parkinson involved in the passing game. And I think if they can do that, that can really help this team find consistency through the air. That's a weapon they've got to utilize a bit more. And he's playing well with the opportunities now that he's healthy. Yeah, of all the players that you just mentioned, the, the grade that I am probably the least um, you know secure with at this point, uh, I am willing to listen to other comments. I think that you you made a very valid point with the DK Metcalf pass. From the angle that I saw, I didn't realize that it had been tipped, and certainly if a ball is tipped, that changes everything. So if it was tipped, and, and you probably saw more angles on it than then I apologize for that. Uh, but Kobe Parkinson, I mean, it was a beautiful throw by by Geno Smith to loft the ball over there. And, and frankly, it, it's both a reflection on Kobe Parkinson and the lack of plays that we've seen from Noah Fant. I mean, Jimmy Graham. I mean, Noah Fant. I mean, like, what the heck? This is a guy who has all of his size, all of his speed, and has flashed physicality on occasion, but we haven't seen much in terms of footwork along the line of scrimmage. There's been, or excuse me, footwork along the the and the, the uh, boundary line. Um, and, and I just haven't seen much want to from him. And so that to me is concerning. When we start talking about grades, Corbin, I, I was kind of, again, going back to the teacher, I was trying to 
find some of the guys who are failing and try and bring them up rather than just kind of highlight the ones on the top. So I'm just going to mention some players that I think need to start to deliver a little bit if they are going to be in the starting lineup. We talked about defensive early. I think on the offensive side of the ball, Seattle doesn't have a lot of options behind Austin Blythe, but he was not very impressive in this particular game. I already mentioned Noah Fant, and while I was disappointed in that, based on running, I wanted to give Rashad Penny one of those B grades, but his inability in pass protection was concerning in this game as well. There's a reason why Seattle is switching over to Ken Walker, to Travis Homer, or DJ Dallas, and certainly hoping for a quick return to health for, for Travis Homer. But, you know, it's concerning when you are as big and strong as Rashad Penny is. And there are moments where he could have certainly helped uh, Geno Smith get a little bit more time in the pocket. So to me, there, there's so many players on both sides of the football that Seattle has to get rolling. If they can, can, if they are going to be able to rattle off the kind of victories that they need, if they are going to be at all competitive in a very good division. And, and that to me is the biggest takeaway from this game. We're now week three. That you need to start seeing these guys start to develop, especially your veterans. And right now it feels like some of Seattle's veterans are flatlining, and that cannot be the case. I'm just going to say it right now. Damian Lewis is my player that I'm going to spotlight. And I know yep. he's been injured, but the holding penalties they called yesterday, as Pete Carroll said, were legit. They were bad. Th- those are going to get flagged every time. I didn't think he played well in pass protection. I thought his run blocking was hit and miss. This is a kid that looks so good as a rookie year. And I don't know if it's just the left guard spot. He's just not as comfortable there or whatever it is. But he and Gabe Jackson both. I mean, that interior offensive line played better yesterday overall than they did the week before. But it still feels to me like that is your Achilles heels offensive line. The tackles, your rookie tackles, are the ones that look a lot better. And on defense, Josh Jones, I mentioned first quarter. This is a guy that, you know, you and I were both speaking up about how great he looked at training camp in the preseason. And that was not a lie. I mean, Josh Jones had a fantastic month of August, but he really has been struggling. I think he's pressing right now. I think he's letting the weight of the moment get to him. I think that he can play much better than he has these couple games. And I think Pete Carroll's holding that out, holding hope there rather than just flipping it to Ryan Neal, but he's going to have to figure it out now because he can't keep leaving all the tackles on the field that he has been. And he's been out of place and covered several times. This guy is capable of playing much better, but they got to figure it out right now. And if he can't turn things around, then you've got to go to Ryan Neal at some point. So those are just a few players that would have got low grades on my uh, scale that I think can play much better than what they have, at least the last couple of games. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And, of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll dish out a few more takes as we wrap up our coverage from Sunday's loss to the Falcons. And we'll take a look at Seattle's upcoming opponent, the Detroit Lions. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.